This podcast comes to you from the Wondery land. Thank you to elders past, present and emerging. We are privileged to attend school on your lands. Hi, thanks for tuning in to Keeping It Individual at Yarra, Yarra Valley Grammar's individual program department's podcast. Each term we feature a conversation related to the learning needs of students at Yarra. Hope you will like this term's episode. Hi everyone, it's Annika. Thanks so much for tuning in to our third episode of Keeping It Individual at Yarra. We have all supported students who have trouble completing homework, seem to constantly lose belongings, seem oblivious to time, need lots of support to get started with work, and find it overwhelming to organise themselves to complete tasks with multiple steps. So what is going on for these students? I'm really pleased to be chatting with Amanda Lacorde, an author and academic life and executive functioning coach, who is going to explore the area of executive function with us in this episode. Amanda runs her own private practice called Organising Students, which is based in Melbourne. She works one-to-one with students and families and supports school communities to develop their understanding of how simple and effective strategies can support a student's executive function in the classroom. She is super passionate about this area and believes it is never too late to equip someone to be better organised or to manage their time. Hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Here's Amanda. Hi and welcome, Amanda. Hi, thank you for having me. So I think the most logical place to start with our chat today would be to ask you what executive functioning actually is. That's a really good question, and I think it's it's not really well known or or understood out there um, in in general. And I think that the simple way of explaining it is very much about the fact that it's the parts of thinking, feeling, and reasoning that help us as individuals, I guess, to do things. So, like analyze situations, plan, uh, take action, focus, and motivation, um, maintain attention, remember instructions and juggle multiple tasks at the same time, as well as manage things by ourselves to get things done. There's often uh, lots of different uh, areas that can be uh, described as executive function uh, points. And you might hear five, you might hear seven, you might hear nine. I tend to use the the five, and that's very much around organisation, prioritisation, Focus and that shifting and that thinking flexibility um, and transitioning, which is a really big challenge for for a lot Mm. of um, children in particular, Um, accessing working memory and self-monitoring and self-checking. Absolutely. So there's quite a few different facets that come under that kind of umbrella term then of executive function. Is there like um, a neurobiological basis for executive function? Not necessarily, and I think I think that the the key here is that everyone has executive functions, regardless of if you have learning challenges, like you know you have ADHD or you have autism or you have dyslexia or you have uh, you know any of those sort of you know uh, learning learning difficulties. I guess uh, obviously those children generally have more challenges when it comes to executive function. Uh, in, and they are essential for things like learning, behaviour and development, you know, not just at school but in life. And I think that is the, that is the, the key that some of us struggle more than others. Mm, okay. Is it a developmental skill? So when I say that, is, is executive function something that develops um, over time 
or changes over time as somebody gets older? It's one of those things that we're not born with. I mean, we're not born with executive function. Well, we are. We're born with executive functions, but they are not like you're born and you have to, you're going to do this, this and this. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty well they start developing generally around the ages of three to five. Mm-hmm. And then they sort of spike as a child sort of enters school and up through, you know, the teens and, and um, you know, in that early adult adolescence period of time and then obviously into adulthood. And so they're not skills that are inborn but, and they take a lot of time and practice really to, to be developed. And for some of us that obviously don't necessarily have executive function challenges, what happens with that is very much that things get done easily and we don't even obviously think about them. So, for instance, I've got an example where I talk to uh, a lot of students and parents about and and even teachers about the homework process. Mm -hmm. Now, what I describe in that, for instance, is that there's 15 steps in the process. Now, majority of people will get given the homework and then they hand it in on time. Mm-hmm. End of story. Don't even it's think not, about it. It's not even think. You don't think yep. about it. But for others who do have executive function challenges, as I said, there's 15 steps in that process. At what point is are they struggling? And at what point do we need to support them to do that? For example, one student will complete their homework and hand it in, and then another will complete their homework. And it's done, but they forget to hand it in because mm-hmm. that is an executive function challenge. So the other, I guess, the other key thing here in particular and going back to specifically to, to your question, basically yeah, our executive functions are not fully developed until we're in our mid-20s mm-hmm. generally. So and they can still be, <laughs> you know, learnt and taught post that as well. So it depends on how many challenges we have with it as to what, and how long it takes us to to develop those skills. Mm. So I know that you know um, at Yarra Valley we have students from the age of three up to the age of 18. So we have kids at a whole you know range of different developmental stages. And I found it really interesting that you just mentioned there that executive function starts developing around the age of three or four, sometimes five. So if I'm thinking of our kids down in our ELC, what would our teachers be thinking about with those real younger students that we have um, that would be at vastly different points, I could imagine, in, in starting to develop executive function? I think it's very much around when we learn anything, and this goes right back to when, as you said, in that early stages or, or we learn things at different stages in our lives, it's very much we don't know something we don't know. Mm. So it's very much about showing, demonstrating you know, providing that scaffolding around something and then moving to the next stage, which is doing it together. And then you move to the next stage, obviously, which is more around you you watch, provide feedback, and then someone does something themselves. Mm. So you've sort of got to logically work through those steps, if you like, with whatever we're trying to learn and um, develop. So it's really important to to work through those stages, which also gives that confidence mm. to to children and and teens and adults and, and and what have you over time that yeah helps them. So that prompt you sort of have described a bit of a prompting hierarchy there of um, providing lots of support, then sort of weaning that support back. And I suppose, as we know, every student is different, even you know in our secondary space or our our primary school space. So. 
we could have kids, couldn't we, up in our secondary space that are still requiring significant support around this. And we could have kids down in prep or grade one that don't require any support in this is that am I interpreting that correctly yeah definitely and and again you you know the the stats and the um the details are out there but if you have those learning challenges like ADHD autism uh and so forth basically there can be a 30 percent deficit or a three to five year age gap in their ability for some of these things so and that's just a general typical sort of number or stat Mm, like mm. whereas as you said it can become vastly different Mm. uh, at different stages as well and I think that the biggest challenge here is that I think what happens is that a lot of students are seen to be lazy Mm. unmotivated uh, or defiant but they don't necessarily have the skills to do what is required Yeah, it can be misinterpreted, I could imagine, in that way, definitely. So I know you've touched on a few neurodivergent conditions in our chat already. You've mentioned ADHD, you've mentioned autism. Can you just expand a little bit more? Um, You've mentioned that some children that have those diagnoses, you would have to expect that their executive functioning was behind their neurotypical peers. Just wondering if you can expand on some of those conditions um, in regards to how executive functioning looks for them at school? I think there's a, there's a whole lot of challenges and, and it can start with it could be that um, it's hard for them to perform a simple task or a behaviour. It can manifest in, you know, they have a lack of that sort of future understanding. Mm. Uh, it can be uh, they, they struggle with seeing time. What is time? I know, yes. How long does something take? <laughs> it's very abstract. <laughs> and, and in order to see time, you need, in order to manage time, you actually need to see time. Mm. And so for, for a lot of students and children in particular, that can be very hard. Uh, and again, there's a lot of things that teachers and parents can be doing to support how to, it's not about telling the time, it's mm. about how to, uh, you know, manage the time. Make it a bit more concrete <laughs> as best yeah. you can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, they can get easily overwhelmed. Uh, for some students, they focus too much on perfection and I'm seeing a lot come out lately in, in that perfectionist space. Mm. Uh, they struggle to prioritise. They procrastinate, which, again, links sometimes to that perfectionist side of things as mm. well. Uh, they can struggle to get started or launch into something. Uh, they have trouble with focus and they generally lack that organisation mm. planning and time management sort of skills. So, you know, it'll be those kids that always are losing stuff or yeah. forget things or, you know, misplace things. Or have um, all the things outside of their school bag when everybody else has got everything in their school bag. Exactly. <laughs> or the, the, the student whose jumper or blazer is the one that you pick up <laughs> from the schoolyard at the end of lunchtime. Most days. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. and so all of those things that I just described, for instance, doesn't mean that they have all of those. No. You know, to have executive function challenges. A child just might have one of those challenges mm-hmm. or they might have multiple. Mm-hmm. So, look, I appreciate it's really hard for teachers to, to sort of, you know, pick up on those. And this is where it goes back to my comment earlier where I talked about executive function. We all have executive functions. 
And for some of us, you know, we're better at some things than, than others and we don't mm. necessarily have those challenges, but some kids will have a multitude of them. Mm. And, the, and the, the students that don't have challenges in this space are the ones that thrive and do amazing things at school because everything seems to be quite easy for them, I notice. As you yeah. said, their homework's easy. They're always getting things done on time and they really, really thrive within the, the space of school. But when you do have those challenges, school can be a bit more of a, a jungle, I suppose. Yeah, and that's why we often see it come out in behavioural side of things because, mm. you know, children will act up, act up. But it's not that they don't want to do well because I think at the end of the day, all children actually want to do well. They do. I don't think any child sets out to be a failure or not complete homework or to do something, you know, bad. Mm. So it's just that they have the lack of skills to be able to, to do it in the way that it needs to be done. Mm. And unfortunately, our society is very structured and rigid. And, and I know that works for the, the majority of us, but it doesn't work for everybody. And I think we need to be accommodating of all of that because that is life. That is not just at school. That mm. is, a, you know, in the work, in the university space, in the workplace, whatever it is that we do in our lives, we, we're all different and we all need to work together to get where we need to, to go. Absolutely, absolutely. So then if we're starting to think a little bit more practically, what can we actually do then to create an executive function friendly space in our schools? And I guess um, I'd love you to describe uh, some different types of spaces too from perhaps our early uh, learning centre spaces which are very different than our primary spaces which are very different to our secondary school spaces. So how can we set up these classroom spaces to be executive function friendly? I guess in general we need to provide those environments that are, I guess, they're going to help maximise getting things done whatever it is at whatever stage, okay? So we need to uh, be able to reduce anxiety. We need to have less distractions in those spaces. Uh, we need to be accommodating for students to use tools that are going to help them. So, for instance, uh, we need some students will need it to be a calm quiet space. Now, I know that can be very difficult in, in schools from right from that early age through to even secondary school. And But for some students, you know, for in order for them to be able to, to do what they need to do, they might need noise cancelling headphones. They might, um, they might need to fidget with things in their hands. Um, they might need to be able to leave a classroom to to then be able to, you know, uh, regulate themselves and, and to come back. Uh, mm. They might, you know, be happy to sit with a weighted blanket for a little bit of, you know, time to help regulate themselves to, to come back into the, the, the main group and, and continue on the activity. So I think, I think that is not necessarily the, the, the actual setup of the, the classroom as in, you know, what's on the walls and what's, what's in the space. I think it's the more about having different strategies or structures and things that and tools in place I guess that students can you know utilize when and if they need to rather mm -hmm. than everyone has to sit on the mat and everyone has to sit there now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so many of our students Amanda have ILPs um, at Yarra Valley and I'm just really interested in your thoughts about what specific accommodations we could include in a student's ILP to support their executive function. 
Definitely. And I think, I think this really goes across the board for most students, to be honest, but obviously some need more um, specific um, areas and, and information. But I think in general, these principles can be followed in, in the classroom as a whole. But it's things like, as I said earlier, encouraging students to note and write down tasks when, when they've got them, breaking tasks down, mm-hmm. making it easier, no more than three steps at a time. Uh, providing tasks, obviously, that are achievable and realistic. That goes without saying. Getting a child to repeat back Mm. and then check their understanding. Don't ask yes-no questions because we all know that they'll say, do you understand that? (laughs) Yes, I do. Uh, When really they have no idea. Um, setting Setting mini deadlines. Uh, assisting with transitions. Mm. So that is a real challenge that I'm sure teachers notice in the classroom that they go from one thing to the next and a lot of students can't cope with that change. Mm. So it's it's preparing them for that. And this goes right back to those younger students. Yes, absolutely. Before. We will do this, then that, followed by this. So they have an understanding of what's going to come along and, and, and go next. Uh where possible, particularly this is more important for, I guess, senior students, it's provide notes prior to class if practical or at least ensure they go up after class uh, for a student to, to go through because a lot of students cannot listen to a teacher and take notes at the mm. same time. So that is a real real challenge for, for a lot of kids. Um, perhaps the ability to take photos of the board yep. Yep. as well is another really useful one. And another really critical one is try not to single them out or call upon them in front of others. And, again, I know not we don't necessarily know that about everyone, but generally if they have an ILP, it might be useful to even have a discussion with that child specifically. Are you okay if I ask questions, you know, if I put you on the spot or ask mm. questions? Um, some of them might want to, not want to present to us the whole class, but they'd be happy to talk to and present to the teacher so it's really trying to listen and understand. And, and most kids will tell you in that situation how they how they feel. Uh, and I guess the other thing that's really, really important is just build relationships with, with students. And, and that because what we want to encourage is that self-advocacy. We want them to develop those skills themselves so they can feel comfortable in approaching the teacher. Now, for some of these kids, that's going to take a lot of time and and it's based on a relationship that the teacher will have with the student before they will be happy to do it. Mm. So if if a child reaches out to a teacher, for instance, via email, and I encourage a lot of my students to email the teacher because they don't want to put their hand up in class, please try not to respond to them and just say, look at the school portal or look at Google Classroom. If they've reached out, they're obviously not sure, perhaps provide them with just some very basic instructions or information Mm. because it's taken them a lot to reach out and do that and you can almost shut them down and they'll never do it again if you you Mm. sort of cut them off. And I get teachers are busy and I don't want to create more work but sometimes it's those little things that can make a real difference. Yeah, reinforce it in a positive way so it happens more often. (laughs) Well said. And relationships, absolutely. The core of everything I think that we do in schools, isn't it? Having that good relationship as an absolute minimum base means lots of good things can happen from there for sure. Yeah. And keep that communication happening, which is part of that building that relationship, right? Yeah, definitely. 
I know that um, homework is an area that you're, you support students with a lot. What about around that homework area? What are some tips that you'd have around practical strategies that maybe teachers could even pass on or teach to their students in their class to um, support, as you said, those 15 micro steps <laughs> that are needed to complete a homework task? I think one of the challenges when, one of the biggest challenges that comes um, to mind in relation to homework in particular is that nowadays, and particularly even as a result of COVID and, and online learning and so forth, teachers and schools tend to use a multitude of different platforms and systems. So there might be Google Classroom, there might be Teams, there might be OneNote, there might be Compass, there might be, you know, different school portals in place. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest things I hear from students is where do they actually find that homework task? And it could be the same students at the same year level, but different teachers do it a different way. Mm -hmm. And it's really challenging for neurotypical kids and kids that don't have executive function challenges to find that let alone those that do have executive function challenges. So I think the very first thing is ensuring that students know where and how to find the information that they need if the, if the homework task is provided in an external source yep. or platform as yep. opposed to be given on a worksheet, which we, I guess, grew up with yep. where we were given a worksheet and it was there. Now, there's some downsides to that. You lost it. You couldn't do your homework. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) At least with technology, we've got a lot more, you know, um, other things in place now. But I think it's also encouraging students to record that information. So, again, you're not necessarily going to do that for, you know, younger students. But um, whereas, you know, as they obviously got the ability to be able to record that information, ensuring that all students are recording that information. And again, we used to have diaries and, Mm. um, you know, sort of paper planners and things like that. Now, I know a lot of schools have moved away from that. And at the end of the day, I don't really care what a child uses as long as they are using something. So Mm. for some kids, it might be still that paper planner and diary. But for others, it might be an online platform. It might be just a notes app. It might be sticky notes on their computer. Yeah, yes. It really doesn't matter. But as long as they are recording the task down, the due date and any necessary information I think is really important. And unfortunately, a lot of that gets left and, and missed at the end of a class because students are concentrating by that stage that they've got to get to the next class and they've got to get their books and they've got to, you know, focus on that. So the, the attention diverts. And so if they're madly trying to write it down at the end or if, they, if it's a lunch break and they just want to get out to lunch with their friends, so it's almost one of the things that I often say to students if you can, or to teachers in particular, is if you can flip it around and talk about the homework earlier mm-hmm. and even sometimes at the start of the class and make sure that they have that time to record that information, you're more likely going to have the chances of them doing it, knowing what they've got to do and getting it done. Interesting. What about some of those other steps? So you've got a student that has noted the homework, which is great. So that's some of those early steps. They are very aware about where to access, what platform to access their homework, and then their home. What kind of suggestions do you have um, in regards to um, teachers, I guess for teachers, to help students then get started at home when there's no teacher support there? Yeah, I think one of the the biggest challenges with getting started is that uh, children leave it too late. So, again, it's encouraging students to have a brief break when they get home, 
and then get started. But again, it's about knowing what they've got to do and having a plan which helps. So often I encourage students to uh, use a, like a whiteboard or have a little list of what they actually need to get done tonight and, and then just start working through it as well. One of the other challenges with getting started is very much that sometimes that overwhelm of having, you know, three or four tasks that they need to complete tonight uh, is, is challenging. So rather than looking at the fact that they've got three or four tasks or they've got um, an hour's worth of homework in front of them, it's just the fact that they start with one, start with doing five minutes, focus on one question at a time. It's really, again, and this is another tool for, stu- uh, for teachers in particular, is it's breaking down the tasks that they need to do. Mm-hmm. So rather than, you know, the whole assignment, for instance, it might be how do, you, how do you break that down? This is ultimately what I want you to do but how do we get to that point? Mm. So tonight it's just this little part. <laughs> yeah, and, and and particularly with kids with executive function challenges, one of the strategies that I often get uh, schools to work with and, and teachers to work with is, is very much around providing mini deadlines, for instance. Mm-hmm. So that can be really useful for students who do have these challenges so that they might provide a plan so you can see that they're on the right path or not. Then they can provide a draft and you give them more feedback at that stage and then you give them the final, they give you the final product or Mm. or report or whatever it might be, assignment at the end. Whereas if you just give them the stuff at the start and you expect them to hand it in at the end, who knows what you're going to get? If anything. (laughs) Yeah, if anything. And and that gives an opportunity to sort of work through those different stages as well. Mm, Very interesting. So do... Um, people or students with executive function challenges, do they ever overcome these challenges? Is it something that uh, a person would be, I guess, uh, managing their entire life? Is it something that they outgrow? <laughs> What's your... Some of them will manage, right. you know, struggle for, for, for a long time. Mm. Uh, it's about, and again, I do a lot of work with students pretty well from sort of year six through to, to university, if you like. And I also do a lot of work with adults now as well. And some of these students I've worked with for a number of years. So through the secondary school years and into, into university, and they still have similar challenges. Mm. And it's very much about problem solving. What is the problem that they have? And what do we do about that? but involving them in the process. So it's about listening to them, asking questions, working what's going to work for them. And, and something might work for them now, but then it, it changes or technology changes or we have all these other different, you know, strategies and tools that we can use. So it's a matter of just continuing to, to support them. Others will mm. just put some of these tools and strategies in place successfully and, and be able to function and, and use that and be independent and manage things themselves. Mm, so it, it's, it's finding what's going to work for each individual. And I know this is challenging, particularly for teachers in a classroom, because you have potentially 25, 30 different kids and, and, and different things that are going to work for, for, for each one. And so you've got to try and find that common ground. But at the same time, I guess, be aware of the differences with, with mm. others. And also I think 
be aware that some of the parents that we work with may have executive function challenges. As you've said, some people are experiencing challenges in this space their whole life. And so we will be having parents that would be having executive function challenges. So for instance, not returning or signing things in t- on time or um, not replying to emails or I guess other type organizational type things that we ask parents to do. So it's something to be mindful of beyond just our students, isn't it? Oh, guaranteed. And, and to be honest, majority of the students that I work with, you will find a parent has similar challenges. Mm. Yeah, it's so and interesting. It, they may not necessarily have been aware of them or, or what have you, but often it, it comes out at some point mm, that, yeah. yeah, oh, I struggle in that space or or mm. what have you as well. Yeah, so interesting. Um, I just, I guess a funny sort of question. Um, we're always obviously really striving to develop the independence of our students. That's, you know, a huge goal that we have for, for our kids from our early um, you know, three-year-olds all the way up, we're, we're trying to develop a sense of independence. And I guess I just really love your thoughts on on where this line is between developing independence for a student with executive function challenges and compensating for their executive function challenges. I'm just really interested in your thoughts on that kind of concept. It's a really hard one to ascertain. And I'm certainly no expert in providing, you know, the the response probably that you want me to provide in that in that space because I think it's going to be different for for, for each individual as as we've just talked about already. And I think it's probably better, if anything, to err on the side of caution that they have challenges than to assume they don't have challenges. And even if it means it's a reminder. And um, to reaffirm the way someone does something or, or what have you, it, it, it doesn't hurt to, to put that into, into place. Whereas if you make assumptions that they're okay and, and what have you, then I think we have potentially more challenges, um, you know, in, in the long run. So, yeah, it, it's a really difficult It's question. a tricky concept to think about, isn't it, and trying to get that right. Um, so not over-supporting someone that perhaps doesn't need support to develop some skills in this space versus not providing support to someone that does and then we have a whole lot of unrealistic expectations placed on that student and just trying to get it get that line right. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing to consider. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you ask it, you know, my, my advice is very much to ask a student and listen to a student, what's working, what's not working, how does this feel for you? What, what's going on for you in this situation? Now, some of them will be able to articulate that and others won't. Mm-hmm. So that's where it gets really, really challenging. Mm-hmm. For example, I've got a university student at the moment who basically has failed all of semester one because he wanted to manage it by himself and he didn't have any supports and scaffolds and, and things in place. Now I'm working with him and I'm meeting with him every week and we're back into to process but I've just realised and found out that he's not taking any notes, for instance. And so as part of that, he he doesn't know how to take notes, but he won't admit that to me. Mm-hmm. So there's some executive function challenges that are going on and we've got to try and solve that. So if, if a student admits something and can tell you, then you can solve it. Mm-hmm. But if they don't, mm-hmm. you, you're sometimes trying to problem solve around it and and that's where that whole line gets a bit blurred 
Mm, and particularly with our primary and our younger students, for sure, that don't even have the language <laughs> at this point, the sophistication of language to explain that. Um, yeah, very, very challenging, but an interesting kind of dilemma to, to sort of think about and reflect on. Now, I know that you're an executive function coach and you're the first executive function coach that I've ever had the privilege of chatting to. Um, and I would just really love you, love it if you could just explain a little bit about what your role as an executive function coach looks like. You've touched on a few bits and pieces as we've gone through our chat, but what does that, what does your role look like, for instance, with say a secondary student that you were working with? It's very much uh, about doing an assessment to work out what is working and what isn't working. And we look at absolutely everything. So it, it'll be things like sleep habits, uh, desk setup, what their locker is looks like, uh, how they take notes, where they keep information. Do they have um, messy bags or backpacks? Like the whole lot. So we look at what all of those elements to work out what is working and what isn't working. Mm -hmm. And then we go about giving them the tools, skills and strategies, I guess, to develop and succeed both at school and in life. Mm -hmm. And as we all know, and we all have experience, I'm a parent as well, our children don't necessarily want to listen to us as parents when it comes to some of these things. So it's really important that... Um, and that's why I guess I have a have a job as a coach and, and, and we and my team have, have jobs as coaches is because we're an outsider and we can come and look at it objectively. And I think this is a role that teachers can play to a degree as well mm -hmm. in, in terms of supporting students, you know, with some of these challenges um, as well. So it's really our ultimate goal is setting these kids up with these tools and skills so that they can be independent and managed by themselves. And it's not necessarily about, you know, okay, you've got to do it this way. It's listening to them and working out what's going to actually work for them and, and tailoring it specifically. And you might have to tweak it and mm. it might have to change. And you're, working, and you're working with kids over, you know, many years. So I could imagine it would change <laughs> as they move through different year levels at school too. Yeah, definitely. And, and it's about really just listening and asking mm. the questions and, and mm. so on as well. So that's probably my biggest message as I've, I've spoken about several times today is very much about where we can, we listen, we ask questions and we try and problem solve to support individuals. As I said, you're not always going to get the, the answers and the, you know, the information you mm. need, but, and, and all you can do is the best that you can mm. in the situation at the time. Mm, absolutely. And I know that you are super busy so there are many students that are really benefiting from this support, um, I could imagine, because, yes, I know that you're super busy and looking at putting more coaches on. So it's a real area that students are, you know, crying out for some support in, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And then parents, obviously, as well, because mm. they're pulling their hair out because they can see their children struggling, but they don't know how to, to solve and support them as well. Mm. Now, just to finish off, I know that recently you've been commissioned to write a book, which is incredible. Um, I believe it's about organisation and time management for high school or secondary students. Tell us a little bit about the project because that sounds amazing. Yeah, look, I'm very excited about it and it's something that I've wanted to do for a long time and a number of years now. And what I really, I guess, my ultimate goal is to, to educate students ultimately 
and, and give them all the tools and strategies, as I've talked about previously, around organisation and time management. And when it comes to time, again, to manage time, you need to see time. And I think this is one of the biggest challenges that we have in general in, in society in, in a lot of ways is, is that what is five minutes? What is 15 minutes? It's not about telling the time that it's quarter past. And, and when we've now moved away from analog clocks mm-hmm. to digital clocks, children cannot see that time has a beginning, a middle and an end. Mm-hmm. And they do not see and understand that concept of time passing. So this is where it's really, really important to, to go right back to, the, to that and, and work with, with students on that. We often get told, for instance, that students have no idea how long a task will take. And this mm. is probably another really useful tip for, for teachers is what I often say to students, if they don't know, ask the teacher. But it would be great if teachers in their, in their description of, uh, or their, their um, provision of information about a task that they're expecting a child to do, this should take you about 15 minutes mm-hmm. or this should take you an hour. Now, we know that that's going to differ by all means and for some of you it might take a little bit longer and some of you it might take a little bit less. But it's a guide because a lot of kids have no idea of how long they should spend on something Mm. and whether they're actually on the right track or not. And that can really help to build that awareness of time, for instance. Mm, absolutely. Well, we very much look forward to this book coming out. I think it sounds really practical and really useful. So I will certainly be keeping an eye out. And um, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. It's incredibly useful and important for uh, ensuring kids are succeeding at school. Um, and us all at Yarra are so thrilled that you were happy today to, to share that with us. So thank you so much, Amanda. Thank you. And thank you again for the opportunity, because I think it's, as I said earlier, it's an area that I think greater understanding is going to benefit all of us. Absolutely. Thank you so much again, Amanda. No worries. Thank you for tuning in and learning a thing or two about how to support all learners and our great school. Make sure you tune into the next episode. Go Yarra!